All right, uh, I'm building the show uh, on the fly. All right, uh, my name is Ed Wolf. This is the Vape Week, uh, and you can reach me at vapingindustry at gmail.com, vapingindustry at gmail.com. This is a live phone-in show, and the call-in number is 347-308-8329. So uh, what I'm going to do is to uh, play a special, uh, what I called a special report, and this is in regards to the Cole Bishop Amendment. And uh, let me just say, actually before it, that I was uh, given some feedback um, that the that there'll be a committee that will actually uh, attempt to resolve all of this in in a conference committee, um, and so uh, their point was that the that the fact that it it is not in, already included in the Senate bill. Uh, may not have the exact impact that I'm conveying with it. Um, so I'll play that and then talk to that uh, as soon as it's done. Hello, welcome to the Vape Week special report. The Cole Bishop Bill is toast. This at the beginning is your executive summary. On April 19th, the Cole Bishop Bill was passed through a committee in the House Appropriations Bill to great fanfare by VTA and promoted as the next savior of the vaping industry because of its purported ability to change the predicate date. All right, about uh, May 9th, uh, a, a article was written in Politico indicating that Tony Boone of the VTA is quoted as saying, In the Senate, we're obviously going to look for similar bipartisan support for the regulation that protects the entire industry and protects consumers. VTA was rolled out to the entire vaping community and so much angst and uh, perplexion ensued. And then, just two weeks later, Politico writes in their rather well-known journal, uh, FDA Appropriations Bill Wrap-Up. The Senate Committee approved its fiscal FDA agricultural spending bill at $2.8 billion. Hooray, it's done, they write. Yet, back in May 23rd, what happened is that the Cole Bishop Bill lost. It did not make the cut. It was... It, it fell to the ground and went poof. No single senator picked it up. And the bill uh, was moved forward without it at all. Here's the quote. Unlike the House, the Senate largely laid off controversial policy riders. Its bill lacks a House rider exempting premium cigars and already marketed e-cigarettes from expanded FDA oversight by the deeming. Rule finalized earlier this month. In other words, it failed. Not a single senator picked it up. It's not a rider. As Monte Python would say, it is a parrot that is not simply resting. Its feet is stapled to this post. It is an ex-parrot. The parrot is no more. So to get a bill passed, you need the House. You got the House. You need the Senate. You don't have the Senate. And you need the President. Well, what was happening with the President during all of this? During the VTA wonderful rollout of the Cole Bishop, the bill that VTA is going to carry to save the industry. Well, actually, the President 
talked about this. The FDA communicated for the president and was quoted on the record saying, However, the administration opposes the riders added to the bill on the tobacco regulations, FDA officials said uh, on a press call on uh, Thursday. They're speaking for the president. They don't do that unless they've talked to him. And that was on May 5th, before the first article. So the president was, you know, not a single senator signed on. President's telling them, hey, go ahead, play with it. I ain't going to help you. And none of them do. They all stand down. Not a single senator is supporting this. I can think that. I think that's critical. Well, not to be outdone, because you don't want to just listen to the FDA talking for the president. This is what another article says. And an amendment to the appropriations legislation working its way through the House would change the date so more e-cigarettes would be grandfathered in. White House Press Secretary Joss Ernest, which is a name I've heard before, said Thursday that President Obama takes a very dim view of attaching ideological writers to the appropriations bill, but stops short of threatening to veto the legislation. Well, you don't throw out the veto word uh, for something as small as this. Uh, you know, because it's a big appropriations bill with a lot of different things. You're not going to posture to the press that you're going to be vetoing it. But he just said he's not going to support it. And lo and behold, days later, uh, none of the senators, not a single one, supported it at all. It's out of the bill. So let's do the Schoolhouse Rock summary for the executives in this meeting here. Uh, you don't. You got the House. You don't have the Senate, and you don't have the. Uh, you don't have the President. The Senate. Just, they just punted. They didn't do anything. The, the president says, hey, I'm not going to sign it. And uh, everybody, uh, good luck. Uh, rally around the Cole Bishop bill because VTA is bringing it to you. And uh, VTA is the new uber, 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 uber wonderful organization to save vaping. Go, Tony Abound, and go, 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 uh, Mr. Dimitri. And, tell it, and while you're doing it, guys, tell everybody that H.R. 2058 is dead because it, at least it is still running and it could be something set up for a new president to sign into law right after January. But at the same time, put everybody's hopes and dreams into the Cole Bishop bill, which is toast. It is officially toast. It is called. We are calling it toast. Toast it is. So concludes the special report from the Vape Week. I'm your humble correspondent, and yes, I remain butthurt. All right, so that was the special report uh, that I put out, and uh, I'm trying to give it some flavor, uh, make it interesting, uh, use a little uh, hyperbole, and uh, use a little humor in there uh, to keep it interesting. And uh, that's actually to get eyeballs on this. And so I did get uh, some eyeballs on it, and uh, I just got that information in. And what their feedback was, um, was that the reconciliation process between the House and the Senate has a a committee that does that uh, and that anything that is put in to that if there's something in the house side and then there's that it does not have a corresponding uh, anything in the senate side that it will still automatically go to a conference committee and so that's good information because uh, you know it's a point of parliamentary procedure uh, and uh, it's so that's important uh that means that there is going to be another crack at this however i i still won't back down on what i think that the effective meaning of what is happening in the senate 
actually is. And that is, it was written up in Politico and it was pointed out as, you know, Politico is a, uh, a online magazine uh, which covers Washington exclusively. Um, and they've, they've got a lot of former print uh, journalists there, and it's a rather well-respected um, as far as an online-only uh, magazine goes. I, I would say that uh, I think The Hill and uh, Politico are the, the two best uh, trade rags uh, as far as actual politics. Uh, you have The Daily Caller, and uh, you have some other ones that are out there that are trying to get up into that same realm. Uh, Brett Bart, for example... Um, but I, I think that Politico is, is a very good resource. So they saw fit to point out uh, in the articles that were linked uh, within my posting that it was remarkable enough to note down that there is no corresponding language that has been supported by any senators for the Cole Bishop bill. And then it went further in that that the White House is not supporting the Cole Bishop Amendment that uh, and they said uh, without going all the way over to the veto point that they were against it. So what I was saying is that there is going to be some horse trading and so if you're going to be trying to trade uh, something to get something you want and what you're going to try and trade for is something that you know that the president is not going to give you uh, I guess I guess if you just look at game theory, I suppose you could say that maybe you would try and get that to go because you know that the president you'll you'll give a concession because you know the president will, won't take it. Uh, but I don't think that's that's the case. I think that that people are not going to jump up uh, senators that is, and uh, and push for this. And then when I was watching the original Cole Bishop hearing, uh, one lady got up there and said that it was clearly creating new law uh new it was creating law within an appropriations bill and she was indicating that that is that is improper procedure just by itself so i i do think that the fact that there are no senators that are bringing this forward is something that is important um to say and i think it's important to know um and i think it's reflective it's a lack of support for a Cole Bishop bill. Um, and I, I think, I think that it's in severe, severe trouble. Um, and so when people are recommending it as a strategy that is superior to HR 2058, I do not believe it's superior. And I also don't believe that because it, the mere fact that it has two Democrats on board makes it a dramatically bipartisan effort. You've got, uh, 29 Republicans and two Democrats that comprise the 31 and 19 Democrats. I'm going to assume they were all 19 Democrats that voted against it. Uh, and then you had Deborah Washerman Schultz stand up, who is the head of the DNC, saying that she was adamantly against it because of family and loved ones that have died as smokers. Um, so it is what it is. Uh, that's the special report. And I would like to see more information from VTA on how this is going to move forward um, and just exactly what that strategy is. Um, I don't know what it is and I think it's a low, low odds. Um, do I think that HR uh, 2058, do I think it's in the same boat? 
if I think about that, I, I, I do think that 50 uh, or 60 supporting congressmen on that bill as co-authors is more impactful than something being shoved into a appropriations bill. And, and I think that if it can gain support, and as it should, that in the, in the realm of a new president, uh, a President Trump, if you will, I, I think that uh, these congressmen can make an awfully good case, especially these the 60, that they did something for their constituents, and now they're bringing it to the president, and the new president signs it, and they, they can show their constituents that they, they followed through with what they promised to do. And uh, this is an election year, and congressmen are much more responsive to the will of the voters and their constituents than our senators for a couple different reasons. But the main reason is, uh, well, there's two main reasons. One is that uh, they are split by uh, congressional districts, and congressional districts are determined by actual the census report. So for a given congressman, there is X amount of actual people that live in the district. I'm thinking it's like 400,000, uh, but I'm, I don't know what the exact ratio is. And I think it then depends differently for states, but they represent a smaller area. So their constituents are closer to them. And again, I'm from California. So uh, I think what we were up to like 25 million people or something like that. Uh, and so, um, I'm, I'm not exactly, I don't have the exact number of the, I could Google it, but there, there are millions and millions of uh, people in California. So you have millions and millions, over 10 million, I'm sure, uh, that, that go up to those two senators that we have. Now, if you go to Rhode Island, they probably have, what, a million max people in the state of uh, Rhode Island? And though they still have the same power by having two senators. So senators are less responsive uh, in California because there's so many people. And also uh, senators have a six-year schedule. Only one-third of them get elected every two years. And so the difference is congressmen, every two years, they're up on the chopping block. So uh, a good amount of vapors threatening them has much more impact. So uh, for the Cole Bishop bill, it is now going to be one of the items that is thrown into a committee Uh, because there are no Republicans that are even supporting it openly. And because there's a large contingent of Democrats that are adamantly, I think the last thing is that there was a letter by 19 of these uh, Republic, uh, sorry, 19 of these Democratic senators that were openly against this bill uh, and openly against the predicate date change. Uh, that it's just very low probability of this Cole Bishop amendments being resurrected and put into the appropriations bill. Does that mean that people who are in favor of these things shouldn't try? Absolutely not. They should still try. However, I do think that what comes along with the Cole Bishop bill are some rather nasty items. And without going over those all again, uh, the one that uh, I I am very concerned about is the accurate measure of nicotine on the bottle label. And if that is not accurate, then they can pull your product off the shelves, call them misbranded, and then destroy them. Uh, And I don't know what their standard of accuracy will be determined to be. 
but I think they can determine it to be anything. And so I, I don't want to just repeat uh, the last show that I did, which was, uh, which was 17. 17 was a wrap-up, essentially, of a lot of different things, and I tried to, to make it pertinent um, and tried to, to make it short, as I will try and make this short. And so I, I do think that you know, working with the FDA, there's three different levels, uh, strategies now to help out the situation that vapors are, are in. That is litigation, and there's a lot of lawsuits going on. I've got a, a couple of them, and I'll, I might, you know, if I have time uh, today, I might start to read through those uh, on the air and talk about those. There's the litigation. There is the legislation, which is Cole Bishop. It is the HR 2058, and it's whatever else. And then the last thing is actual compliance of, of actually figuring out a way to become compliant at you know doing the same thing that these large companies are doing uh, the, the very very large vapor companies and the very very large tobacco companies uh, are all looking at doing compliance now there's a lot of uh, people saying that it's impossible it's 99% you know everybody's gonna get wiped out I do not believe that that is the case. I do not believe that has to be the case, and I don't believe that the language of the bill is, uh, of the deeming is impossible to overcome. And I guess as soon as I were to think that, then I would not be trying to do the things that I'm trying to do. Um, so from there, uh, I'm just going to segue uh, over into some other stuff. Uh, and so what I'm going to do now is uh, play some very quick comments, less than a minute of comments from stuff uh, from uh, the chairman of the CVA USA, uh, from the secretary of Vista and from the chief operating officer of Mountain Oak Vapors, who is currently over in Washington, D.C. and tweeting out information about the VTA meeting. One of the things with the VTA meeting that is disappointing to me is that it's not being publicly communicated out to the vapors. There's no live feed, uh, and people are saying that the, the information there is uh, so sensitive and so secret uh, that you that it can't be disseminated. Now, what I don't understand is if I was on the East Coast and I had $150 in my pocket, I could just walk over and go in there and uh, have all that information. So I don't see how it's so proprietary that it can't be shared, but that is what is going on. Um, no, we just play it and see what happens. All right. Can we sue Mitch Zeller for that snarky ass fucking smile that he uses all the time? And so that is something that I'm concerned about. Just the, the treatment of the FDA. Um, and as I said, there's a guy on smoke free radio, uh, who's knock nor. So, uh, Demetrius's smoke free radio has some hosts that, uh, more or less echo, uh, what he's saying. They, they seem to be on the same page, if nothing else. So when I see Nocknor, um, and I don't think, I think that's a fake alias, but when I see Nocknor, uh, who's a guy on Facebook and a guy in the vaping militia, uh, saying things, um, I, I, I do at this point simply attribute it to uh, Dimitri's in, entire Demi sphere. So um, 
that that may be an error in, in certain points uh, and I'm certainly willing to listen to clarification take calls whatever but for simplicity's sake I'm going to attribute anything that goes on in the smoke-free network to the messaging of Sevia uh, um, and because I think Sevia is a sponsor and uh, I think that uh, one of the other sponsors is uh, the Vapor Bar and uh, I think uh, Phil Bersardo so uh, it's a sponsored message so that it is. What Knocknor said is he called the women on this webinar bimbos. And that bothers me. It bothers me when Dimitri is going after the FDA. Of the three different examples that, that we have to try and fight the deeming, which is legislation, litigation, and compliance, these nasty remarks to the FDA are the only ones that will affect what they do. Uh, as far as their regulatory discretion. The FDA is well aware that they were going to get sued, and it's a, it's a standardized practice. It happens. They are not going to take umbrage on the fact that they are getting sued. In fact, they're more likely to, uh, to accommodate uh, and change because of the litigation. I do think that the litigation is a good thing to be doing. I, I do support it. I, I do support... Uh, multiple ones. However, some of the lawyers have said uh, that there are better venues than others, and I, I don't know all of the ramifications about the potential crosstalk and, and the potential uh, minimizations that could occur with, um, with multiple uh, litigation going on at the same time. For example, if one person tries uh, with a poor representation in the court to get a um, a temporary injunction order and they because their lawsuit is not as well filled out and they and their lawyers don't have the expertise and they're not sharing in the other information with the other lawyers and they lose on the temporary injunction I believe that that uh, that precedent could be used by the FDA in other cases to show those other judges that it is reasonable for them to also not give a temporary injunction. So there are ways that multiple lawsuits can uh, diminish each other. So I, I surely do hope that uh, there is communication between all of those lawyers um, and uh, I think the one that I certainly know the best would be Azim Shadhuri from uh, Keller Heckman uh, and that he is doing the lawsuit with uh, the Smoke Free Coalition and I believe that is going to get filed uh, any moment now so I'll be happy to look at that when it happens. Um, so uh, go over this next part because it's only a minute long. It's been a while since I heard this so I'll play it. Is there an actual monetary figure for PMTAs? It's irrelevant. A BMTA won't make it through. I mean, it could be anywhere up to $10 million per SKU. But that's irrelevant. The point is that even if you have $10 million to get one product through, what are you going to sell with it? I mean, just one juice? And PMTA will be rejected. I'll tell you that right now. Okay, so I think it's very important for all e-liquid companies and all businesses to be preparing for the potential... And I'm sorry to say the much higher likelihood that the litigation and the legislation will fail. 
I, th I think you have to prepare for it. And I will uh, be very generous and give each of those things a combined 10% of coming to the rescue. And so there's a, and I think it's very fair, a 9 in 10 chance that you will have nothing other than uh, stay on business for two years and go away or uh, do your applications and, uh, and what it's taking uh, to stay on the market. And so bottom line is that everybody is going to have to do applications after two years, even if it's simply wanting to release a new flavor under the best case scenario where your product was grandfathered um, and that you want to you want to do a, a new product with an SE against a grandfathered product because you have a new flavor, even in that scenario you're still going to have to do paperwork. So everybody that is an e-liquid maker should be anticipating that they will need to do compliance. And the alternate, which I just heard uh, from CVO USA, is it's just a, it's a lost cause is what people are being told. And what I'm telling you is that it's not a lost cause and you do want to be doing it. And instead of just saying... It's, uh, it's an absolutely an impossible mountain to climb and nobody will ever be able to do it, is that you have to, you have to just start that journey uh, what, by whatever means that, that you are going to do it. Uh, and there are plenty of means. So, um, going back and uh, hitting the tape. Litigation and Cole Bishop is just to give us some temporary relief to continue to make money to try to enforce, try to use a new legislative pathway. So I don't think that we'll, there will be an alternative legislative pathway beyond the current deeming regulations. I do not think that the deeming regulations are going to go away. I think that the best thing that could be possible is a change in the predicate date and uh using uh, some of these mechanisms that the FDA is offering, uh, which are the master file uh, and some of these other things to reduce costs. So managing uh, the current regulatory framework is important, but I do not expect, and I just don't see it in any possible way, that a brand new structure would be established, um, you know, once a, a agency of the government gets control over something uh, I just don't see a likelihood that it's going to go away at all uh, I just you know it's I just can't see any scenario even with a Trump presidency that it's just going to go away uh, because again there are so many mothers out there in this country and uh, for you to walk out there as a congressman or a senator saying I want to remove the Tobacco Control Act for these vaporizers that you are hearing about in the papers and stuff uh, and and then a, a, a predictable mother would say well why on earth are they trying to do why is my congressman trying to do that these are brand new products they're just starting to be regulated and now this guy just wants to take away the regulation and try something else I don't think that's a good way to do it. I just don't see any scenario where the Tobacco Control Act is not going to have the power to regulate electronic cigarettes 
And then I said in a previous episode, there was a whole bunch of people that wrote into the FDA saying that vaporizers are tobacco products and that because they're tobacco products, that the uh, Tobacco Control Act is the appropriate act to control them. And that was uh, Kassaw, uh, Julie Wersner's uh, former group, uh, uh, Bill Godshall, uh, Dr. Michael Siegel, Dr. Nitsen, uh, and some other people uh, that are involved heavily with uh, vaping. So we're stuck with it. I guess that's the, the shortest way I can say we're stuck with the act that we're being controlled by. If anybody tells you they can fill out a PMTA and don't worry, you should worry. You should run away from them quickly. <laughs> or if anybody tries to sell you uh, that, oh, yeah, I can help you get through a PMTA. Yeah. Okay, so that's the chief operating officer of Mountain Oak Vapors. And the question that I would ask him, uh, because there are multiple different, uh, you know, established people that are have, uh, like some of the speakers at today's FDA, uh, sorry, at today's VTA meeting are lawyers that work for large law firms that all they do is regulatory compliance with the FDA. So there are those large groups that are out there and what they're doing at the VTA conference right now is soliciting business. So uh, Mountain Oak Vapors chief operating officer says, you know, uh, just run away from any of these people that would try and help you. Um, and the question I would ask, you know, Dimitri uh, in his capacity or also his boss, which is Steve Nair uh, from Mountain Oak Vapors, what I would ask them both is, do they have any plan going forward to become regulatory compliant? Are they themselves working on compliance with the FDA? Or have they said that to themselves that it's just so impossible that they won't file them? Because if Dimitri is recommending that others do not file them, and Mountain Oak Vapors is also not filing them, that is a consistent message. And I guess I can respect that. But if Dimitri is saying that others should not bother to file the paperwork, and then in fact that Mo Mountain Oak Vapors is doing just that, making their preparations to file compliance and working and, and hiring other people and doing all of that, then that is a radically different message. So... Uh, that would be a question that I would ask uh, both to Mountain Oak Vapors and to uh, to Smoke Free Radio and to Dimitri is what is the plan for Mountain Oak Vapors and Dimitri's own company? Uh, what what is their plan? Because I think that would definitely be uh, something that everybody would want to know. Um, and and if they are if they are being so bold to not even attempt to uh, work through the regulations and be compliant, uh, that would surprise me greatly. It would absolutely surprise me greatly. And so my working assumption is that they are a large enough company and they report themselves out to be uh, a, uh, what is it, a, uh, not a job shop, but a, uh, a co-packer uh, for approximately $150 million of retail uh, sales of retail sales MSRP bottles um, and that's a lot that, that's a, a, a lot of of uh, a lot of product 
for them to just to be to walk away from trying to do the regulatory compliance. So to wrap this little section up, uh, everybody that's an e-liquid maker should be looking at doing regulatory compliance. Everybody should. Whatever the means that you're going to do it, uh, that's your choice. But everybody should be doing that because of the gigantic likelihood, uh, the the greater than 90% likelihood that there will be no litigation and there will be no legislation calvary that will come in and save the day. Uh, may, maybe they will run in there, uh, but I, I think there's more Indians than the calvary. All right, so this is from the smoke-free uh, radio broadcasting, um, and this is from uh, a member of the vaping militia radio as well as the vaping militia and also a member of smoke free radio and uh, his name is knock nor um, and so I'm gonna go ahead and play this and then speak to it I complained that Cole Bishop uh, you know allows the FDA to create a database of vapor vendors in the United States well it's a big deal Big whoop. I mean, if you don't have to register, FDA can still send enforcement around and gather your information and enter it themselves anyway. The only people that should be worried about that are people that have something to hide. So I, I disagree there. I, I do not think that any uh, person or whoever else should be saying that the government should be knocking on their door and getting a list of their establishment uh, because and, and, and that that to to get that that list should be generated uh, only because they think that uh, these vape shops have something to hide. Uh, I said that terribly. What he said is that you should only be concerned if you have something to hide. And what I'm saying is that no, you should be concerned even if you have nothing to hide. And that is because that. Companies uh, can be affected by uh, nasty regulators that are going to regulate these vape shops in ways that they should not be doing. Um, and the example would be like Massachusetts. Uh, Massachusetts, you could have some uh, vape shops that uh, are being hammered by their uh, cities and state. Uh, and so because of that, if you have to register uh that you just are inviting closer scrutiny and if the scrutinizers have are hell-bent against that vape shop it can affect you so what if I had a vape shop that was called a uh, blue whale now I'm just doing my business I'm paying my taxes I'm doing everything legal everything is being sold legally However, if this national database is created, then uh, anti-vaping groups who want to sue vape shops into oblivion can get it. it it's just uh, what I said uh, before is that perhaps, you know, uh, you, you don't have any reason to hide, that you're not doing anything wrong, and that you don't need to hide because you're doing something wrong. However that you should, you should you should hide anyway uh because uh we've seen uh what happened in 2009 that that there's just no reason to to create a database of every single vape 
shop retailer in the United States and make that list available to everyone else. That's an aspect of the Cole Bishop, and I just think there's a risk in doing that. And I think that people that are saying that they want to make that choice for every single vape shop in the nation are making a big presumption and are getting in other people's businesses uh, that they shouldn't do. So that that's that's what I have to say on that. And again, this is something I'm trying to, to shed this because I do want to move on uh, from this going forward um, and cover the Cole Bishop bill uh, again once it goes into that committee. Uh, and so we'll know what happens in that committee, uh, but uh, I just can't imagine with without a single senator saying that they're for it it's going to have too much traction. I mean, it's it's going to happen. I mean, there's no reason you should be worried about people knowing where you're at. I, I really don't understand the, the fear of that. They're going to find out where you're at anyway. So why not just do it for them? Why not just go onto a website and register and say, okay, here I am. It's not a big deal. It's definitely not any reason to not support the Cole Bishop Amendment which would allow you to be in business anyway. So the Cole Bishop Amendment creates regulations for vape shops. By And when I mean that, I mean they have to register. The current deeming has no effect on vape shops unless there are manufacturers. So for, for, for vape shops now, they are unaffected uh, the, the the majority of them, all the ones that don't do their own mixing, uh, are not affected or comprehended by the current deeming. So with the Cole Bishop, then they are inserted into it. And so when the FDA says that these regulations are foundational, well, the Cole Bishop Amendment creates a that foundational approach that foundational attack, the, the foundational capability to enter into the business of vape shops. And so there are people saying that these vape shops are going to get blasted left and right. And I went through the scenario where so long as that vape shop has access to companies that do have their liquids, and because, as I'm still adamantly saying, that hardware sold independent of nicotine as a final finished product with its own UPC code will be outside of the domain of the FDA, that there's no way that they can make that legal claim um, or, or, or try and do that. And, and, and if they were, a court would slap back at them rather quickly. Um, that you know, and, and say so people are saying, well, they're going to do it, they're going to try, whatever. Uh, well, if they try, uh, they're going to get beaten back real fast, real quick, and then after that happens, uh, you know, it's not a case that they're going to want to try or, or attempt to do because they will get beaten back. And the first, the first case that happens uh, from the from a federal side, you'll have all of these lawyers, you know, jump in support and, and go after that. And then once they lose that, then that risk is gone. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to actually read. I'm going to cover the whole section. I'm, I'm going to be uh, uh, covering Knocknor here. Uh, I'm looking at a Facebook post that has been shared around all over the place today. Uh, here's a post that he uh, put out today. And this says uh, from Knocknor on Facebook. Uh, there is no true expert 
in vaping when it comes to fighting the government. Nobody has really ever won a fight with the FDA when it comes to vaping. This is a new battle on a battlefield. Okay, so right on the second sentence, I really must protest because I certainly do believe that Soterra and the Soterra appeal, that both of those victories, uh, which were put on by Enjoy, was a fight that was won against the FDA. And number two, I will say that I believe that Safada has clearly had winning fights with the FDA. And I will point to a very specific one that was pointed out last week, is that the FDA delivered to the Office of Management and Budget, the OMB, a document that said that uh, flavors would be attacked with the very first, with a, with the deeming. And what happened was the OMB rejected that. Safada did a tremendous amount of communication about the OMB meetings in 2015. And if it were not for Safada, I don't think that communication would have happened at all. Certainly VTA wasn't around when any of this was happening. But Safada, they, they went on to various shows. They explained what the OMB was. They, on, the, on the Safada website, there was guidance for how to establish an OMB meeting, uh, gave the person's email contact, and suggested that everyone go out and do it. And Safada was at the forefront. There may have been some other people that were doing it, but if I, you know, memory serves that they were then pointing, saying uh, other people that came on said, yeah, you should do this. And then they pointed to the Safada site for, for instructions. And so Safada literally put out a cattle call uh, for people to talk to the OMB. So they, they, they did it. And so, um, at first, there were some people that were having their OMB meetings, and then uh, they got a rush. The OMB got a rush of uh, people wanting to have meetings. And so the because of that, the OMB had to create uh, meetings for multiple people at the same time, multiple companies at the same time. And I was one of those people. And so I, uh, uh, through... Uh, through the finagling that would only come from a son of a grade school teacher and a PTA president, I asked pretty please if I could attend all of those meetings, and I attended all of those meetings. I only spoke at one. And so I listened to everything, all of those people that Safada got in. And Safada got us in. It's kind of crazy because uh, I, I think that most people, uh, most of these very young businesses and, and these startup companies would have no clue uh, on how to get into an OMB meeting, but hit, there we all were. And through those meetings, the OMB, through whatever process, you know, uh, I can't look behind the curtain, but I have to say that, uh, you know, when I was listening to a woman cry in front of them, uh, pitching their case, uh, and when I listened to, uh, you know, a company uh, that was uh, presenting, who was the best one that I heard? Um, I, I heard one, it's a, it's a, uh, I, I shouldn't mention names, I suppose, but there's no reason I shouldn't, so I won't because I could.
if that makes sense. One company was conveying the case that they had 59 employees. And those 59 employees were 59 families. And they, they made a very, very compelling case. So through all of that effort that Safada did to bring people in uh, to talk to the OMB, the OMB changed the course of the FDA. So Safada, I'm going to give the credit to on this one. Uh, and that's because I'm scratching my brain and I'm remembering what I know. And I know that it was Safada going out and telling people that they had the opportunity to do this and, and, and then giving people a cheat sheet instructions to get them in. And so many got in that the OMB could not reject us all, but they could, you know, kind of shove us into these two-hour groups. Um, the three, it was either two hours each or uh, one hour each. I don't remember that. But there was, there was uh, 35, you know, um, about 20 companies in each one. And so we all spoke uh, and we said what we needed to say. So let me go back to reading this. Uh, so that, that's the main point is that, yes, uh, Nocknor, uh, Safada has a dramatic win with the OMB, and that that changed the course of what the FDA had. And if it weren't for Safada rallying the troops, rallying all their members, and getting everybody into that OMB, I dare to say that I think that we would be trying to retract a flavor ban right now. Now, maybe the OMB would have done it all on their lonesome. But they heard over and over and over, and they got that feedback. So then after that, uh, he says, uh, this is a new battlefield. Then he writes, no one has looked eye to eye to the beast and stabbed it in the heart. I just disagreed. Every one of us are spending as much time as we can looking at weaknesses, trying to find places where an attack will do the most damage. But all of us are guessing what will do the most damage. I would then disagree because I think Safada identified the spot that would have the most effect and got all of us there and then it worked. Vaping advocates have been fighting locally, county, state, and federal legislators since 20, uh, 2007, but never have any of them went face-to-face -face with the FDA. I still disagree. No one knows, in, in big caps, no one knows what tactic or strategy will work for sure. There is no guarantee that one lawsuit or another will achieve victory. For that matter, no one can be sure any of them will. I, I guess I somewhat agree with that. Uh, but I do believe that people that are writing these lawsuits, some of them have a lot of expertise. So... Um, I think they do know which strategies are most likely to work. Next paragraph. We do have a lot to fight for and a lot of passion. There is no more room for any it's my way or the highway or I'm the only one who can win this fight or my click is better than yours. This is not the movie Mean Girls. You are not the cool kids, and this is not the cool store in the mall, and we're not fighting over who gets the cool new outfit. This is vaping. Uh, this is fighting for lives. Every life vaping can potentially save in the future and preserving that right to choose. Quit trying to fight to be the new kid in the cool clique and start fighting for the lives that can be saved. 
Our enemies will crush us while we are bickering about who is right and who is wrong, and, and we will be responsible for the lives lost. <sighs> I'm not the best reader, obviously. Uh, so, I just don't, I don't see all of this, uh, because, you know, all this stuff with clicks and stuff, I know that VTA has come about, and then there is, they are uh, upset that they are not within this coalition. Uh, Dimitri is claiming that they were never asked. I don't believe him. Uh, and uh, we'll find out at some point, I suppose. Uh, but VTA wants to uh, duel it out with Safada, and Safada is part of a coalition, and I guess that's a click because it's a group of like-minded people that are trying to achieve the same goal. Um, and so I, I just think that this whole, you know, the Kumbaya message that we all need to work together is being used. It's been weaponized almost. Uh, so people are running around, oh, well, uh, you know, you need to get along with us. Well, yeah, but what if I disagree with what you're doing? I, I, I'm going to disagree, but that's not going to mean that uh, I don't want vaping to succeed. And so this whole premise that unless we all do everything together, then nobody can ever win, I think that's a failed strategy too. So there's one other thing that I think I'm going to read. Okay, this is from the chairman of the board of Sevia, uh USA, the chief operating officer of Mountain Oak Vapors, uh, the commander of the Demisphere, the Vaping Greek, and the chief operating officer of Mountain Oak Vapors. What he is saying is stop, just stop. Uh, just because you don't agree with a strategy doesn't mean yours is better. You don't have to be in a coalition flyer or be part of the cool kids club to do the right thing as you seem fit. If you don't agree with how someone pursues their right to fight against the FDA, just don't publicly support it. Chastising, though, even a glimpse of an opportunity that might help our cause is downright vile and counterproductive. Do your part, small or large, doesn't matter. Just do something. Do something positive. And so he wrote that before Nor, and, and as you can see, uh, as I said earlier, that I believe that the messaging out of smoke-free radio is tightly controlled and aligned. Um, so there it's, it's relatively an echoing. So uh, in that part, he says, you don't have to be part of the coalition flyer. I think I believe what Dimitri is referring to there is that uh, there's a coalition and he wants to be on that flyer and, and other people aren't on that flyer for whatever reason. Um, or a cool kids club. I, I just really don't know what that is. Uh, and I guess through my life, I've never known any time what the cool kid club was. Uh, but I, I think that this whole message of we all have to work together and then uh, you know uh, then we then we don't have to work with you it, there's just this messaging that is being used uh, that we all have to be together uh, or we don't and it's just a way of, of pushing back uh, maybe it's a way of pushing back criticism but I, I think that we have to be inside of the vaping community open to criticism I, I certainly am uh, and uh, some people are, are critical of me, but they don't want to call up or, uh, or whatnot. And uh, I've just got a, a little tiny slice here uh, with my little tiny podcast. Um, and uh, if anybody does want to disagree with what I'm doing, feel free. So I think I hopefully can be done with a lot of this stuff uh, and, and, and move on. Um, 
we, we don't know what's going to come out of the VTA meeting. Hopefully they will be communicating out whatever it is uh, because uh, the people that are there are people that are selling services. And I think that uh, I, I would like to see whatever communication it is. As I've said, uh, I'm in California. I'm hearing that uh, VTA is rolling around, uh, you know, uh, traveling around and asking uh, that companies in California join VTA or some sort of uh, California smoke free association.org or something like that. Um, that's that. Let me just see what else I've got. Uh, so that was the, uh, I had my little small agenda. That was the, the Facebook silliness. Um, then I've, uh, the going, uh, the other one was your calls and your topics. Now I wanted to talk about, uh, what I think is the biggest battle for all the advocacy groups and for everyone in vaping right now right after you talk about the deeming and uh, and compliance with the deeming and everything that goes along with the deeming. Because at least we can agree that the market uh, will look very exactly like it is now, right now uh, for two years. So even though there's not a bunch of new flavors or, uh, you know, coming on board, it's still going to look exactly like what it, you know, we're... It, I I don't change flavors nearly that as much as some other people. It's going to look, we're going to have a pretty good experience uh, for the next two years. So what I think, uh, what, what we really have to focus on, it's the year of the taxes. This taxes is the big thing. The big fight is taxes. So if groups want to organize and, and fight against the taxes as their number one priority, uh, I, I wholeheartedly support that. Uh, going after taxes in any state, and uh, I've even just recently seen that they are, it's being floated out there on the federal level too. Uh, I don't think that has that much traction at this point, but it really does have a lot of traction in the states. So uh, California, there's a ballot initiative uh, to try and get taxes going. And uh, I, I don't know, uh, I haven't kept up with that as much as I should, uh, but it's a real threat. And so the, the position um, that uh, I think I've heard Pamela Gorman say this and her position uh, is, uh, and I heard her on the radio, um, she was basically saying you have to fight all taxes off, all taxes, fight them off, reject them, don't compromise. And then uh, when she was on this broadcast, uh, she was saying something like uh, the term excise taxes uh, should be avoided uh, because excise tax is, uh, is what they want to put on cigarettes and stuff like that. And she explained excise taxes as extra taxes. So we want to fight excise, i.e. extra, we want to fight extra taxes applied to vaping. Because right now, we should point out that every single vaping product sold in the state of California pays taxes. We just pay the normal taxes, which is something like nine, 9.25% a lot. Um, and, uh, we want to fight the extra taxes. And so what they're trying to do with this bill amendment is take it straight to the public and get out the impression that vaping products should be taxed and they want to gain revenues. And unfortunately we live in this, this world where punishing the smokers is so darn accepted that uh, people think so long as you punish a smoker because they don't know any smokers or the smokers that they know uh, their puritanical ways they want to punish those smokers too um, that that there's 
if it goes to a vote in the state of California without anybody fighting it, it's a hard thing. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen if this is not fought and fought severely and fought and not give an inch. So if people start to give an inch in California to the taxes, if they start to make a deal with the devil uh, for taxes, thinking that the devil will just go away after you make a deal with it, it freaks me out. And so taxes, taxes, taxes. I mean, it's uh, to, to vaping right now, uh, if you just put the FDA off to the side and then and then you consider what's important for advocacy. Just like in real estate, location, 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 taxes, taxes, taxes. So uh, maybe VTA is going to roll out something on taxes. That'd be I'd be happy to see whatever they're proposing. Uh, but taxes is where the fight is. Uh, I guess I'm at the point now where I've just given up on people. If if a local city is going to try and uh, tell you you can't vape in the park, I guess I've given up on that. I don't think it's worth the fight anymore. I, and, and if if that makes me not, um, you know, I I just don't. I just never seen that it's ever been that successful. And then if you are an actual subject in that park and that you want to vape. You just have to do it stealthily and take a look around to see if there's cops. And if there's kids around, uh, you shouldn't be vaping in front of kids just just because their mother is there. And, uh, you know, their mother, their mothers are, you know, mothers can be can be damn mothers. You know, you don't want to mess with a mother. Uh, so. Uh, so I, I again, I don't think that the, that any any of the local battles, you know, some of this stuff you just. You know, maybe they're going to tell you that you can't uh, vape on the pier. Um, you're going to you can try and fight that as much as you can. I'm not saying it's not worth the, the local fight, but from from a from a national and a state perspective, um, you know, it, it's you chose to live in that city that is doing that to you, and and fight them as much as you can. But the real problem are going to be the taxes. And so what happened in California this year is that they attempted to give the, each single city the right to create new taxes on vaping that's the only thing that the governor did not allow because the governor wanted to set it up for the state and so it's been set up for the state and they're trying to roll an initiative so taxes 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 and let's talk about them who wants the biggest taxes on vaping well obviously the state that's one of them who's the next person let's forget about the state forget about the government because that's that's everybody knows that who's the next person that wants those taxes i'll tell you i think it's big tobacco big tobacco has been living under the paradigm of big taxes for years and years and years they know how to do it they know how to survive their products that they make the most profit on are combustible cigarettes and they're taxed up the yin yang. And right now, as a vapor, you can vape as an alternative to cigarettes and save. If you were spending $300 a month on cigarettes, you can vape at the same level of activity for under 50 Easily. Easily. And, and maybe people are going, well, wait, I vape a 30 mil bottle a day. Well, that's... But you're not trying to uh, leave cigarettes. You've left cigarettes and you're doing your own thing. 
But if you're talking about a dedicated smoker, uh, if they get themselves uh, a uh, Kanger K1 sticking on top of a uh, a, a Joytech Ego Twist, uh, and uh, they've got a pretty, and then they use 18 or 12 milligrams, maybe they start with 24, go to 18, and rapidly go down to uh, to 12. I think 12 is the sweet spot, frankly. I think 12 is where um, is the most similar vape to cigarettes. Uh, for the type of person when I smoked, I smoked about a pack a day and it was, it was weird because I would just, it would, I would regulate myself to the 20. Um, and so I, cause I wouldn't want to open up another, don't want to open up another pack today and I would, you know, slow down. And so I, but I think that 12 is about the normal amount. So, but if somebody wants to vape at 12 and they're using a, a, a BVC coil on top of a very small tank, a K1 on top of a, a Joytech Ego Twist where they can just, you know, change their volts. It's a very small solution. It's a very cheap solution. And they just fill up that tank um, and uh, they're good to go. They change their coil once a week. Maybe they change their coil once every two weeks, you know. And they just run their fluid. They're running going to run a a high PG juice, uh, something like a a seventy thirty or a sixty forty uh, PG being the seventy. And uh, they got their nicotine, and they vape all day, and they can do that for fifty dollars a month and replace a three hundred dollar habit. So it's certainly the the tobacco companies that has to freak them out. Because sure, they could have made this high cost Sigalike version, and that was my always my biggest opposition to the Sigalikes is just the cost. Um, and so I even did the whole thing with uh, using the little uh, silicon sleeve uh, to uh, you pour the e-liquid into the silicon sleeve, and then you uh, take your cartomizer and you push the cartomizer down into the silicon sleeve, and that was the method of filling that would put the e-liquid in there. And then you just let it sit for a little while. It was not a bad way to uh, to fill it. The, it had a terrible description, though. People called it the condom filling technique. Uh, hate that term altogether. But I used the silicon sleeve technique to do it. And uh, that was the biggest problem with Sigalex is the cost. And and now we've got the Jewel out there. And the Jewel is a whole other type of solution, although it's more costly. Um, it, it is just as costly as Sigalex ever were. But the point that I'm trying to get to that I've digressed a little bit is, is that big tobacco wants taxes and they want taxes because they live with taxes on their products. So if they can raise the price of vaping, there's a higher chance that people will stay on cigarettes. And then they can, when they send their lobbyist in with VTA, after VTA leaves the room, they can go, yeah, we'll go ahead and tax it. You don't know what those lobbyists do when you leave the room. And so they can put out a case where they want to set up taxes. So taxes is where it's all at. And Big Tobacco wants the, wants the big taxes. So here, I hope people will recognize that I am now coining this. This is my term. I'm going to take credit for it. I've never heard this said before. I want the attribution. I'm going to put a trademark on this. BT wants BT. Big Tobacco wants big taxes. BT wants BT. Big, big Tobacco wants big taxes. Big taxes. They want the big taxes. They've already got the taxes on them. They know their customers aren't going away. They want to put vaping out of the hands of vapors. And we all know that intuitively, that that's, but we always attribute it to the government. Now, I've seen people, uh, you know, like VTA, 
uh, and Dimitri saying, well, we'll cut the deal with Big Tobacco if we can. I've, uh, I watched, uh, as I said last week, that I watched Matt Cully put out a video saying that big tobacco really isn't uh, that big of a threat, that really that pharma, uh, the FDA, and uh, the anti-vaping groups are the big problem. Well, I think that big to- tobacco should be put back into that list. I th- think change that pyramid into a square uh, or, or a Romulus or whatever the hell that is. Uh, make it a diamond or whatever, you know, uh, you know uh, Make it a diamond and, and chain, you know, put another, put four corners on that thing. And uh, because Big Tobacco wants to leverage the FDA, wants to leverage the anti-vaping groups, and they want to leverage, uh, well, they don't want to leverage pharma. I don't think they care about pharma too much. Uh, they want to leverage Big Tobacco. They want to uh, leverage uh, government and the anti-vaping groups to create big taxes to increase the price of vaping so that the alternative for the smokers won't be nearly as appealing. And one of the things that you see that the anti-vaping groups like to do is they like to insult smokers. And so what they say is that smokers are not college educated and they're poor. You know, the, these poor slob smokers is how they uh, they treat us or treat you know, that's how they, it, it, I find it offensive. I really, uh, because I, I just don't like the way people manipulate statistics. So they, they, so they're making that argument. So the fact that they know that smokers are highly price sensitive, but they are uh, still smoking means that there is a great availability of vaping to replace cigarettes because of the cost alone. And, you know, I talked to one woman at the FDA that was a uh, sponsor of uh, these low, uh, low family people. And, and she was there because a lot of her people that she was like a social worker spend a lot of money on smoking. And, 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 and these people have kids. And so some of them, to support their smoking habit, are not taking as good care of their kids as they could be. Because they're, they're getting stiffed on the taxes. So you're taxing somebody that you claim is addicted to the most highly addictive substance in the world, and then you're saying that uh, that that's going to work. And all you know, if it's if you believe it's so addictive, then the only thing that you're taxing them is to take away their money. And in this case, if you if the anti-vaping groups think that they're poor slobs, then you're taking away money from the poor. And so that becomes a situation where only the rich get to do what only the rich get to do whatever the heck they please. And you know, sorry, but uh, you know, I I'm, I consider myself you know an American, uh, and uh, I think that's downright un-American. Um, I I consider myself an unhyphenated American, and so. Um, I just don't think that's right uh, to uh, be doing that. So that's what the implications of the taxes are. So big tobacco wants big taxes. And that because that, that situates them, it puts down the industry that, is, that is, has a different distribution channel. Right now, big tobacco is loaded in every single convenience shop and every single gas station in the United States. I don't know what that number is, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's a million. I, I don't know how, and, and every single Safeway, every single, uh, you know, uh, Raley's, Ralph's, and every single shopping store, they're everywhere. They have the distribution everywhere, and they see this, the vape shops out there, and if they can tax those things like they did in Chicago, 
that, that the VTA group completely stood down, did not do anything to help out Chicago, did not even come onto Facebook and scream bloody murder when Chicago, the entire city, fell. I haven't seen VTA put out a single comment about that, and I don't know why. Because Chicago is a really bad... Chicago is so bad, it feels like Detroit. You don't even want to look at a picture of it because you know it's that bad. So if, if, if big tobacco can create these big taxes and then they stuff them on the ballots and they get the, the people that have been so conditioned uh, to hate everything about smokers and sin tax the heck out of them, they can make more inroads on, on vapor. They, they, can, they, can, they can take out the vape shop model and then they can only have these, these uh, very small bottles uh, located uh, that you can only buy in convenience shops and gas stations and, and Big Tobacco owns that. So when Dimitri and VTA are cutting deals with tobacco, in my mind, they are cutting deals with the people that want to raise taxes on all of vaping. And I don't see how anybody can argue with that. And I would be welcome to argue with them if they had a different take at it. And so the next thing, and I guess it's going to be the last thing for today, is that big tobacco wants less flavors. And so that's why when I freaked out when I saw that this Cole Bishop bill where the, the, where the people presenting it said that it's going to regulate flavors. And let's, let's zoom out from that now and add the context that we now know. The FDA delivered that to the OMB. I don't know what type of leaks happened, but I have to think that maybe uh, somehow that those senators talking about vaping on the floor had some sort of idea of what might have been sent over to the OMB. For all I know is that they, they have the right to know. For all I know, I, I don't know. Ex but I'm going to say, well, maybe there's a good chance that they had a hint of it. So maybe when they were talking about the banning of flavors and when the chairman, if, you, if anybody watched the video that I put together and stuck up on YouTube, I haven't looked at it in a while, but I've got a decent memory. And there's something that that chairman said that bothered me and he says that the FDA has said that they are going to regulate vaping flavors as they've indicated that they want to do or that they are going to do now if you read the tobacco control act they have no right to do that because the flavor ban is only attributed to cigarettes cigarettes have a definition and a cigarette's definition is very specific, and a tiny cigar does not fit the definition of a cigarette. That's why you see uh, uh, flavored cigars out there. So, but th what they did, uh, the FDA sent over to the OMB, which Safada helped, you know, break down, is a bill that would have regulated flavors off the get-go. And now that makes sense, as I'm thinking out loud, is that that is what probably why that chairman of that appropriations committee said at the start the first guy in the the first guy i think in the video that i had uh the 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 first guy the guy with the the, the gray hair said that the fda is saying that that's what they're going to do anyway um
I'm just thinking about that right now. Uh, so what does it all mean in the big picture? Uh, the FDA, uh, the Congress knew that the FDA was trying to do that, but uh, the OMB beat them back. So even though uh, uh, we don't like uh, some of the actions that the uh, Obama signed this legislation into in effect in 2009, but we know that Obama is a smoker, and we know that the OMB had enough vision somehow from the executive branch uh, to uh, to say that flavors were enough of an importance. So they rejected the FDA. And uh, so maybe that is why, uh, I'm, I'm thinking out loud, maybe that is why uh, when uh, Congressman Cole went up there and said that they could ban things flavors on a category maybe he was thinking that the Cole Bishop amendments would be operating on a bill that had more powers than it actually does because the FDA sent it to the OMB with more powers and the OMB luckily stripped them out anyway uh, that's a digression but I'll leave it in um, so what Big Tobacco wants less flavors. There's no way that they can compete with all of the, the, the gigantic amount of flavors. So they would be happy if you add cherry, strawberry, uh, uh, you know, uh, let's, they would be happy if they had the V2 set of flavors. And so uh, it's been a while since I've been to the V2 site, but the VMR site had like red, Congress, constitutional, cola, Grape, cherry, um, uh, uh, and they had, they had 10 flavors. Big Tobacco would be absolutely pleased as punch to have those be the 10 flavors. 10 flavor profiles, and that's it. Nothing else. And can't eat, they'd be happy if you could only call them cherry and, and whatnot. And the reason why they would be happy with just 10 flavor profiles is because then they could compete with all these vape shops that have 100 flavors or a, a curated vape shop that has a menu of flavors of the ones that they think are the best and they have 35 different flavors and each one of those is a hand-selected one. Because that's not the game that uh, that Big Tobacco wants to do. They want to just shove all this stuff into a 7-Eleven, shove it into a, a, a thing and people just pull it off the pack. That's what they want. And, and they, they would be fine and dandy if these products cost the exact same price as a cigarette. They would be happy if the taxes weighed it so that there is no cost difference. So, uh, in summary, uh, Big Tobacco wants big taxes. BT wants BT. And that, it, it gives them a strategic advantage, a, a big one. They also want less flavors. They want to take out all of the things that uh, give vaping the, the gigantic, diverse uh, experience that we all so much enjoy, blah, 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 marketing. Uh, they want to take all of that and they want to make it into a, a sterile. This is, you know, you're an addicted subject and you will walk in, you slap your money down and they give you your fix. That's what they want. Uh, and that's what they have a, a fantastic success on. And, uh, you know, what, do you think you, you, you want to know why that advertising stuff is in there? Sure. It's because Big Tobacco doesn't use any of that advertising. What do they care if it gets wiped out on the Internet? They're not using it.
nobody has told me that my uh, research as far as uh, that, that the Cole Bishop bill could be used to ultimately regulate advertising on the internet uh, premised upon me going over to the United States Patent Office.gov and seeing that they have case law indicating that a printed publication is the same thing as the internet, that there is no difference and there's you know precedent and legal cases cited. I don't know. I mean, it, to me, to, for me to find such a gigantic glaring error all by my lonesome uh, seems suspect to me. It seems like, uh, you know, maybe I, I didn't, I didn't, maybe I did something wrong. But then that's when I think again and go, why don't I see more rural ads on the internet? What is the law that stops them from doing that? Because they do have the right of commercial free speech. So it's not that. And most of the laws restricting advertising in cigarettes is because of the master settlement agreement. So it probably is that. But I don't think the master settlement agreement ever, I think it was 1998, I don't think that they were talking about the internet back then. I just don't think that it was, it was a big thing there. Maybe I'm wrong. I have to you know, scan the master settlement agreement. But that's my logic. And uh, so that's the show. I could look at this Halo complaint real fast. I'm going to do that. Halo E6 complaint. It's just uh, look to it's 15 pages. Can't be that long. Introduction. Let me just uh, reformat this. Open it again. And introduction. Parties. Regulatory and statutory background, uh, the the venue, the deeming rule affects nickel pure, uh, first claim of relief, violation of unlawful statutory interpretations as the first claim of relief, violation of the APA, uh, which is a an act, and it says uh, violates the provisions. Uh, because of the definition of tobacco product. So they're saying it's illegal because they're the definition of tobacco product. So uh, I think the first claim of uh, claim on the Nico Pierce lawsuit fails uh, because of the appellate brief that was the that was put in by Casaw and some of the other groups saying that they believe that e-cigarettes are tobacco product and could be regulated under the act. So the first claim of action in the Nico Pierce case is directly contra, contra, contradicted by uh, what has already been filed with the uh, appellate court of the District of Columbia, United States of America. Second claim of relief, violation of the APA, arbitrary and capricious agency action. Uh, provided that the reviewing court shall hold uh, under this provision agency unlawful if the agency failed to articulate a rational connection between the facts and the choices made. The deeming is unlawful when judged against that standard. Under the tobacco products may not be sold without prior approval of the FDA. The act provides three options, and those are SE, SE exemption and pre-market approval. The PMT process is similar to a new drug application. Well, Okay, it, it's not, and so it, it'll fail there. And then, uh, indeed, the language of the provision of the PMTA, yada, yada. Uh, the PMTA is only the avenue, uh, it's the only avenue. Thus, the 
paragraph 41 that lest the deeming rule uh, will file will be required to file uh, the FDA approval of the PMTAs for hundreds of products okay so they're not considering the provisions that the FDA did as far as grouping products together so 41 is already contradicted uh, by the FDA the deeming also arbitrarily discounts the safety benefits of the e-liquids well it does, the deeming the final rule does mention the safety benefits it does acknowledge some of those already uh, despite the compelling safety data, uh, deeming rules, the deeming is particularly arbitrary in its treatment of new vaping devices and e-liquids introduced uh, after August 8th. Uh, the deeming does not articulate a reasoned bias to impose such de facto moratorium. Well, the, 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 the articulation is going to be the public health benefit, and so they would have to have the judge say that there was no public health benefit uh, because they get to stand on that. 44, uh, arbitrary in a treatment of new... Uh, the net effect of the deeming is a regime that is arbitrarily frustrates innovation and advances into the public health while preserving the status quo that existed uh, in 2007. So I just think that that second claim is not going to... It's not going to hold water, as they like to say. It's going to be a leaky sieve, is what I believe. Uh, third claim of action, violation of the APA unlawful cost-benefit analysis. Uh, uh, it's talking about, although the deeming estimates 750 PMTAs annually filed, Nicoplur alone needs to file hundreds of them. Cost-benefit analysis by the law, um, blah, blah, blah. There is no application fee. Um, and since these products are so similar to each other, I think the FDA is going to win this one too because... Uh, they're going to have to show damages before you get any relief, and I, you're not going to get any damages until after two years, so the court will not uh, be inclined to grant you relief on something that you have not been damaged by, is what I would think. Um, fourth claim of relief, uh, the above paragraphs are incorporated herein by reference. Uh, violation of the First Amendment. Okay, so they're going after this where you can't make... Um, health claims I think that's what this part is uh, let me just go it's actually the last one provides that a reviewing court shall hold unlawful and set aside agency action that is contrary to the constitutional right power and privilege or immunity the deeming violates the first amendment by prohibiting manufacturers including Nicopure from making truthful and non-misleading statements regarding vaping devices e-liquids and products so uh, this was already adjudicated when it came to cigarettes and uh, so basically the uh, the uh, alternate path of uh, what is it called uh, MRPT marketing uh, under a, a reduced risk profile um, that they it, the the reduced risk profile marketing has been upheld for cigarettes and they're saying that uh, I guess they're basically standing on snake oil uh, that they're trying to make sure that nobody is making undue health claims so um, it, I think uh, let's just say that the that they were to win on the First Amendment here uh, then the only thing the benefit would be that you could say that vaping is better than smoking and you can still say that uh, I think that, you know, it, everybody's like, uh, the, the Cole Bishop removes your ability to market, and now people are saying, well, shit, we can't market, we can't say that uh, that uh, you uh, it's a safer product. 
Um, and I realize Cole Bishop doesn't remove all marketing under theory, uh, although I think that uh, the age restriction, uh, by the definitions that they used by the total number of viewers that would be children, that the internet would always be prohibited under their definition. But I'm digressing and going back to something in, in or much earlier in this broadcast. I don't think that the, the First Amendment thing's going to fly, and even if it did fly, what you would get is the ability to say uh, that vaping is safer than smoking. You can already say it's better. Better. You can say it's a better. It's a better experience. It makes you. It, it, it's. Uh, it's. Uh, it. It has. Uh, you, you can. You can market the flavors and saying uh, it. It doesn't leave your clothes stinky. It uh, doesn't smell. Uh, you can say it's the best replacement to cigarettes already. You can say all of that. So. Maybe the fourth claim of action is going to win, but uh, that's what I see. Uh, let's see who put together this lawsuit. Maybe I'll call them up and they'll come on the show. Uh, here's what they're, the relief that they're requesting is uh, uh, declare that the deeming is contrary to and exceeds the FDA's statutory authority under the Act and the FDCA. Well, I, I, I just don't see the court doing that. Uh, I don't think they'll have the evidence to support that. The deeming rule is arbitrary, capricious, and abuses the discretion or otherwise not in accordance with the law. Well, I mean, I think that was all adjudicated back in 2010, and then Kassaw said that uh, it could be used. Uh, I, I don't see that. I, I think to, to prove that it's arbitrary and capricious, you're going to have to show damages, and there's no damages other than the speculated damages right now. And the speculated damages, that it's going to cost $10 million per product. And that is a number that the FDA is already refuting. So uh, let's try this case in public. I'm already saying that uh, that the court won't declare item I. I'm on page 14. I, I, item I, the deeming rule is contrary. Uh, I don't think that will be granted by the court. The deeming rule is arbitrary. I don't believe that will be granted by the court. Uh, the deeming rule cost-benefit analysis is unlawful. Uh, I don't think you're going to be able to demonstrate, even if you were to be able to show that it were unlawful, that you will be able to demonstrate that it is incorrect until after two years or until a submission is actually made. Um, so I don't think this one will be available for any type of rules uh, until after two years. And let's go to the next one. The deeming rule is contrary to the First Amendment. Eh, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but it's already been ruled uh, available to analogs that way. And, uh, you know, uh, say the court, you, say you win this one, you basically win nothing. Uh, it's not, it doesn't, doesn't help out anybody. Uh, I guess it's a, it's good to try and you know, toss in a First Amendment thing to, to flush out the case. Uh, maybe they're going to bring in more things. Um, and so what they're asking is issue a... So this is... A, that's their claims. This is the, the, the summary on page 14 of the lawsuit. Uh, and this was filed on 510 by Nicopure. Uh, what they're asking for is issue a preliminary injunction in joining enforcement of the deeming rule and prohibit FDA from taking any action the deeming rule pending resolution of the merits of the case. Issue a preliminary injunction in joining enforcement of the deeming rule and prohibiting the FDA from taking any action under the deeming rule pending resolution of this case. So the FDA is saying that nicotine is highly addictive. Uh, 
the, the court won't find differently. They're saying that uh, smoking is, is a big problem. The FDA is saying that uh, this is a matter of health. And they're saying that uh, you've got two years and maybe up to three years before any of this stuff kicks in. And uh, they're saying that there's potentially harmful ingredients that they just want to be listed. Um, and, and the FDA says that they're not banning these products. So that's everything that the FDA has been saying. And uh, this lawsuit is asking uh, ever, uh, the court to ignore what the FDA is saying and say that they can't do any part of the deeming rules immediately by form of an injunction uh, before the two years is ever going to expire. I, I just don't think that's going to work. I, think, I just think that's definitely not going to work. I've heard the 90-second call. Uh, I'm going to go back one last time here and look over uh, to see if there's a caller. There is not. Uh, and so going back to page 14 of the Nicopure lawsuit on the relief requested, I'm on number C, which is issue a preliminary injunction and joining enforcement, stopping enforcement of the deeming uh, rules and prohibiting uh, the FDA from uh, taking any action under the act. Just uh, make the FDA stop is what it's asking for. I don't think there's a chance in hell that a judge is going to do that. They're going to, the FDA is going to say, we're trying to save people's lives. Uh, these people have shown you no damages. They, they still have two years to do this. Uh, the only thing they can possibly tell you is that they can't release a particular flavor right now, but they've, they haven't released, uh, Nicopure hasn't released that many new flavors in the last uh, year. Uh, and so, uh, uh, you know, what, what are their damages? That they can't release another two or three flavors this year? I mean, that's what the judge is going to be told. And uh, I, I just don't see a judge is, this is not going to work. I'm sorry. Uh, if a lawyer wants to explain to me how this uh, is, is going to work, uh, I'd be happy to hear it. I think it's absolutely great that it's lodged. I think it's a good thing to lodge. I'm glad that the, the lawsuit has been put across. And I think, you know, if nothing else, it could slow down the FDA. And as some lawyers have said that, uh, you know, if you have one suit that is really weak, that goes first, that could cause a precedent for others. If the, if a, if this preliminary injunction is refused, as I think it will be, uh, some lawyers have said that that could affect their own cases in the federal side. Uh, I'll, I'll believe them, I guess, on that. I have no reason to disbelieve them on that. So that was... Uh, Number D is that they're asking for an expedited uh, resolution uh, for this case on the merits. Well, I don't know how they can ask for an expedited uh, uh, reason because that most of these things don't kick in for two years. And so uh, they, they would have to show that they can't comply with, uh, with uh, registering their, uh, their manufacturing in their bottles and stuff uh, by the end of the year. A company like Nicopure would, wouldn't be able to demonstrate that. So they don't have any demonstration of harm and they'll need that. Uh, then number F, grant Nicopure uh, reasonable attorney fees. They always, everybody asks for that all the time. Award such uh, further relief as the court deems, Jeremy, you know, you always stick those two things. Pay us our attorneys and give us whatever else you want, lawyer, uh, Mr. Judge or Mrs. Judge, uh, Ms. Judge uh, or just Judge. Uh, that, uh, that uh, you know, you always stick those last two things in. I've read the case. Um and this is put on by a rather large, significant, dominant, uh, brutal uh, Covington and Burling LLP is a big law firm in Washington, D.C. You can tell they're a big law firm because their website is cov.com. 
So anybody that is a three-letter domain name has been around for a long time, especially a .com version of it, and uh, cov.com, they've been around, they're big, uh, and they're, they're a big law firm. Well, let me say it a different way. Uh, I can look at this, uh, and I, I can say with the confidence of, of without being part of a large law firm, without having the pedigree as this law firm clearly does, that I don't think a solid case can be made for this. And I, I don't see how this will win. I just don't see it. Um, I, I, and maybe because it was filed, uh, you know, with uh, after four days, uh, they just, maybe they're going to attach a whole bunch of things else in it. Uh, but uh, reading this lawsuit is the reason why I think that uh, you better start filing your applications or, or preparing for them, getting ready for them. You need to prepare for it. Be a Boy Scout. Do it. I mean, be prepared. Uh, but, uh, you know, geez, uh, what else is there to say? Uh, there's other lawsuits. I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. There was one other point I thought I had. Uh, I'll, I'll take a look at the other lawsuit. This was done early, and, and maybe they're going to bring in some more things uh, into this. Maybe they're going to bring, Nicopure will uh, bring some more causes of action, and then uh, Azim Shahandre and Keller Heckman will be lodging theirs. Uh, and, uh, and I guess on the next episode, I'll read through the uh, Lost Arts one. I think, again, uh, if it's confusing, I think that these lawsuits have about a 5% chance max of winning. I totally support them. I think that they should be lodged. Uh, my understanding is that the, uh, the one from Keller Heckman is going to take uh, uh, like something like $200,000 to lodge. Uh, and then after that, whatever cost it would take to keep it going. I think if they're looking for a temporary injunction, that you would find out the termination of the uh, injunction, the temporary injunction request, real fast. Uh, so uh, not that much past the, uh, say, three hundred thousand. If you if it takes two hundred thousand dollars to put it all in, and to get it all lodged, and then uh, if you want to do your your motion for temporary injunction, which is done right on early, just like it, what we're seeing with Indiana, um, that uh, maybe. 300,000 uh you'll you'll 350 you'll have an answer back to that injunction question if this nick up here one doesn't go first i'd be happy to bring on the uh, on the full full blown lawyers uh but I, at least with the nick up here one why why don't i just say it because uh i i don't think it, i don't think there's it's not going to work i'm happy to hear a lawyer tell me why but i just don't see it so that's the show Gotta find a song now.
Get lost 